DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He's also the author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life, including Spiritual Consolation, the book on which this series is based. The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher. We now begin Conference Talk 2. So welcome back, and it's nice to begin again with uh, our eyes fixed on Mary and the love in her heart and how she brings us to the Lord Jesus. Now, in our last talk, we were looking at the title statement and the three teachings in it, that the second set of rules are for the same effect as the first set of rules, be aware, understand, take action. And we were looking at the second piece in that title statement, that these second rules involve a greater discernment of spirits than the discernment of spirits in the first set of rules. And so we were comparing Patricia in college when she is struggling to uh, really commit to the Lord, leave aside the things that are harmful in her life, let her friends know about this, risking their, um, you know, their scorn and all that might go with it. And Patricia very much needs the first set of rules because the enemy is trying to discourage her through spiritual desolation, and pretty obvious open temptation. And then we looked at Patricia, and this is where we stopped in our our last talk. Years later, she has grown enormously in the Lord. She has now long been very faithful, prayerful, loving, a good, um, really uh, solidly living her vocation as a wife and a mother. And the pastor has invited her to create a program for the poor in the parish, She's experienced consolation toward that and is moving in that direction when this Sunday, when the gospel of uh, Matthew 25 is read, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. She feels again a warm, rich spiritual consolation toward another option, and that is the serving of the refugees who will shortly be arriving in her hometown. And she wonders now, uh, how do I discern this? I'm experiencing spiritual consolation both toward serving the poor in the parish and toward the refugees in our city, and I can't do both. How do I discern in this case? And it's precisely to help us in this situation that Ignatius gives us his second set of rules. So let's look now at the 10th annotation where Ignatius describes this. Okay, so Ignatius writes the 10th. When the one who gives the exercises, or outside the exercises, a spiritual director, perceives that the one who receives them is assaulted and tempted under the appearance of good. Now, this is a key thing as the spiritual life grows, to realize that temptation may not come only through the discouraging lies of the enemy to try to dishearten us, but at a certain point, the enemy may, also, may begin to tempt under the appearance of good. And when a person, a spiritual director, sees that a person is being tempted under the appearance of good, Ignatius says, then 
it is proper to explain to him the rules for the second week already mentioned. So this will be the setting in which the second set of rules applies. He goes on to say, For the enemy of human nature commonly tempts more under the appearance of good when the person is exercising himself in the illuminative life. That is, the person is further along. These are the classic three stages of the spiritual life, the purgative, illuminative, and unitive, which is the illuminative. That's to say, uh, Patricia is further along now. It's no longer in the earlier, more purgative stage. But these are people who have matured and grown in the spiritual life. When the person, uh, which corresponds to the exercises of the second week in the retreat, and not so much in the purgative life, which corresponds to the exercises of the first week. So, Patricia at this point receives spiritual consolation with the thought of serving the refugees. Is that of the good spirit? It might be. It comes with spiritual consolation. The thoughts are good. They're holy. They're about a wonderful service. It's needed. It's possible that that is of the good spirit, but we can't at this stage of the spiritual life now simply assume uncritically because there is spiritual consolation toward a good and holy thing that it is necessarily of the good spirit because it could also be of the enemy tempting under the appearance of good. And in this case, if this is the case, the enemy is attempting to pull Patricia away from the service of the poor, which is really what God wants of her and not trying to pull her away through the discouragement of spiritual desolation, but through proposing with spiritual consolation a different good than the one God actually wants for her. So in this situation, obviously, the first set of rules is of no help at all, because that is, as we've said, about spiritual desolation. And there is no spiritual desolation here. And the second set of rules will be uh, indispensably useful to Patricia or anyone who is in a similar situation. So Patricia in college needs and will benefit from the first set of rules, and she would only be harmed if in that earlier stage, the spiritual director, the chaplain with whom she speaks, were to mention the second set of rules. And the years later, when she is discerning between the poor and the refugees, the first set of rules will not help her, and the second set of rules will be of enormous benefit to her. I think it's safe to say the second set of rules is the most helpful thing in our entire Catholic spiritual tradition for a person facing this kind of issue. So when Ignatius tells us that the second set of rules involves a greater discernment of spirits, uh, I think it's already quite evident what he has in mind here. We are discerning between spiritual consolation with good and holy thoughts that are genuinely of God and spiritual consolation with good and holy thoughts from the enemy, who is tempting under the appearance of good. Okay, so these are rules for the same effect, rules with a greater discernment of spirits. And then finally, in the title statement, Ignatius tells us that these are rules for persons in the second spiritual situation. So Ignatius is answering here uh, from the outset the question, to whom does this second set of rules apply? And I think we can already get a sense of where the answer goes. So it applies to persons in the second spiritual situation. Well, who are they? And what I'm going to do is take from Ignatius' spiritual exercises the various qualities that he sees as contributing to place a person in the second spiritual situation. In such persons, you would see a freedom from significant sin. 
yes, the just man, the just woman falls seven times a day. And of course, we need the sacrament of reconciliation and, and all the rest of that. But what you will not see in a person in the second spiritual situation is a person struggling with obvious and uh, significant sin. This is a person who has grown beyond that. Uh, This is a person, to use Ignatius language, who has progressed in the purgative life beyond such significant sin. You would see a person who is generous, uh, they'll be warm and loving, spiritually mature. This will be a person with a solid, deep life of prayer, probably for some time. Uh, And these are very dedicated people who really want to live their respective vocations, be it to marriage, priesthood, religious life, the lay condition. People who love God, who love the Lord Jesus, and this is central in their lives. The love of God is is deep and at the heart of their lives. People who deeply desire to say yes to God's call and do God's will in their respective vocations. And people who desire, let's say if it's a wife and mother through her her vocation as a wife and mother and her involvement uh, actively in the work world or in the parish, as as she relates to her husband and her children, who wants to contribute to Christ's work of redemption, his saving work in the world. It's a beautiful portrait. And these are also people who are ready to relinquish attachments that would hinder or limit their freedom to follow Christ's call. And finally, as Ignatius says, ready to share in whatever way God may ask in Christ's own poverty and humiliation, if the Lord Jesus desires. So, A person in the second spiritual situation is mature, dedicated, generous, deeply loves the Lord, desires to dedicate his or her life to him, solid life, faithful life of prayer and service in their vocations. So I say it's a beautiful spiritual portrait. And that's really why this second set of rules in its own way uh, has a real beauty to it, because it is all about good people, mature Christians who deeply love the Lord and want to adhere to him, probably have been doing this for some time in their lives, and that's all they really want. And this is a set of rules to protect the beauty of that portrait, so that the enemy is not able to lead it astray through any temptation under the appearance of good, and it goes solidly toward the Lord, which is all these people uh, desire. Patricia in in college is clearly in the first spiritual situation. Patricia, years later, is very likely in the second spiritual situation, which means that she might be tempted under the appearance of good by the enemy. I'll probably say this repeatedly. I don't think I can ever say it too much. There's no shame in being tempted through spiritual desolation in the first spiritual situation. Uh, And by the way, the enemy never fully stops attempting to weaken us through spiritual desolation. So even a person in the second spiritual situation is going to have to deal with that at times. But uh, nor is there any shame in dealing with the enemy's temptations under the appearance of good. What matters, as always, is be aware, understand, and take action, in this case, to reject. Now, note Ignatius' language here. He tells us that the enemy in persons in the second spiritual situation the enemy commonly tempts more under the appearance of good. It's no small thing that Ignatius alerts us to the fact that at a certain point in the spiritual life, as a person grows in generosity, the enemy may shift tactics and begin to tempt under the appearance of good. And let's note further that Ignatius tells us that in such person, the enemy commonly 
tempts more under the appearance of good. So it, would, it is not surprising that a person who has matured in, in the love and service of the Lord in this way should experience temptations under the appearance of good. So here's the question. Is such subtle discernment necessary? Aren't both options good, whether Patricia serves the poor in the parish or the refugees? Aren't they both good things that a good person would do with love? Wouldn't God be served in the one way or the other? Why do we need this kind of subtle discernment? And the answer is that a person in this second spiritual situation generally is going to be a person whose life touches a lot of other lives. So if Patricia serves the poor in the parish, she's going to be working with a large number of people, probably over a number of years. If she does not provide that service, all of those people will not be served over that same period of time. If Patricia serves the refugees, again, she's going to be working with a lot of people. If she does not serve the refugees, a lot of people will not be blessed by her efforts. Let's suppose, for example, that the service of the refugees really is a temptation of the enemy, tempting under the appearance of good. This will be ultimately to the detriment of Patricia herself. Let's say, for example, um, that there's a tiring commute involved in this, and it gets harder for her to do this over time. And she's getting tired and begins to think of uh, whether she should even continue this. Let's say, for example, that the refugees uh, speak a different language and Patricia doesn't have a real background in foreign languages. The communication is difficult and her energies start to wane over time. So yes, and if Patricia gets discouraged this way, what's going to happen in her own life of prayer and relationship with the Lord, her marriage, her service of her family. So a lot is at stake uh, in this. Uh, Ignatius at Manresa, when he receives these great lights and um, rich and abundant uh, consolations when he goes to rest in the evening after this day so intensely dedicated to God, again, a lot is at stake. If he continues to open himself to these consolations and thoughts, as his sleep is diminished, his energies will weaken, a point may come when he may just grow weary of all of this effort to grow in holiness and grow in the Lord. And um, the consequences of that would be very uh, serious for him and for the church, as is evident. Among other things, we wouldn't be sharing this talk right now. When later uh, he is at Barcelona and attempts to study Latin as the beginning of his studies toward priesthood, and the consolations interfere with his ability to um, do the memorization that he needs to do, if he does not discern that these, this is a temptation under the appearance of good, he may wind up uh, concluding that he simply doesn't have the capacity for the studies. He never becomes a priest, and the course of his life and the whole church actually will look very different. So is such subtle discernment necessary? Yes, I could have put more exclamation points after that. Very, very much so. Because generally, discernment, according to the second set of rules, is going to affect uh, not only the individual discerning, but usually will affect a good many other people as well. This discernment is very important in our lives, in the lives of people in the second spiritual situation and in the life of the church. Well,
We'll return to The Second Week Rules for the Disturbance of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher. Okay, having said all of that, let's look now at the first of the rules. And let's read the text and go over it. Uh, That's quite a lot for Ignatius to have packed into a simple title statement. But all of Ignatius' text is dense like this. So let's read it and then go back over it. First rule. The first, it is proper to God and to his angels in their movements to give true joy and spiritual gladness, taking away all sadness and disturbance which the enemy induces. To whom, and so first um, God and his angels and now the enemy. To whom the enemy, it is proper to militate against that joy and spiritual consolation bringing apparent reasons, subtleties, and persistent fallacies. So what Ignatius does in the first rule is to introduce the, um, his answer to this question of discernment in the second spiritual situation. And he does this by describing generically how the good spirit and the enemy work 
in people, in persons, in the second spiritual situation. So what he, what he describes for us in the first rule here is what is characteristic of each spirit in the second spiritual situation, how each of the spirits, the good spirit and the enemy, characteristically will work in a person in the second spiritual situation. So in such people, the, the good spirit gives true joy and spiritual gladness. That is to say, the good spirit gives spiritual consolation, taking away all sadness and disturbance that the enemy induces. So in the second set of rules, as in the first, the good spirit has the same goal, and that is to help the person grow toward God. And the good spirit uses in the second spiritual situation the same tactic as in the first spiritual situation. In both cases, the good spirit, God and his angels, as Ignatius um, uh, explicitates it here, give spiritual consolation, which is to say that God is unchanging uh, throughout discernment, whether in the first or second spiritual situation, the good spirit gives spiritual consolation to encourage us and help us to grow on the path toward God. The enemy, Ignatius says, militates against that joy and and militates against that joy by bringing apparent reasons. So as the person, let's say Patricia, is in the midst of this discernment, the enemy will bring reasons that seem, um, seem real, seem true, but are only apparently so. So uh, an overemphasis on one part of the total picture or a skewing of a truth so that it um, now is mixed with a falsehood or an outright lie in various ways. The enemy brings subtleties, a convoluted, confusing, exhausting, around and around reasoning about things that leave a person confused and unable to, to find the truth of things. And then fallacies with a certain uh, stubborn, persistent quality. They don't easily fade away. They come back over and, and, and again. These are the tactics that the enemy is going to use to try to militate against the spiritual consolation that God brings. <clears throat> now, Ignatius doesn't, in the first rule, give us the precise context in which the enemy is going to do that. We'll see this later in the rules. But what he wants us to see here is this is the way the enemy is going to operate in the second spiritual situation. So in the second spiritual situation, the enemy has the same goal as in the first spiritual situation, and that is to harm the person. But whereas the good spirit uses the same tactic in both spiritual situations, the enemy changes tactics in the second spiritual situation because the spiritual profile of the person has changed. The person is no longer in the earlier stage. And, uh, prone to give in to the discouragement of spiritual desolation. Being strengthened against that, the enemy now shifts tactics and in the second spiritual situation, tempts rather under the appearance of good and does so, tempts under the appearance of good through these various uh, approaches, apparent reasons, subtleties, and persistent fallacies. Okay, to get less abstract about it now, let's look at an experience of this. And uh, you have this in the handout on page five. And this is uh, Charles. Charles is a married man with a professional background in finance. His faith has long been the center of his life. God's love has become very real for him, and a great desire to respond to that love has awakened in his heart. During those years of faithful prayer, 
and active service in his parish, a time came when Charles felt God's call to the diaconate, permanent diaconate. His wife and children supported this calling and found that Charles' new involvement in the church through it caused them to grow spiritually as well. Two years ago, Charles completed his studies in theology and was ordained a deacon. His love for the liturgy led him to acquire a special competence in liturgical matters. Charles' life of prayer grew deeply, and he served God with increasing generosity in his family, professional work, and diaconal ministry. Now, which is to say that it's at least possible that Charles could be now a person in the second spiritual situations, uh, situation. The long years of growth, the deepening life of prayer, uh, the growth in his, his, his calling as a father and a husband, and now as the deacon in the church. After his ordination, uh, Charles was assigned to a nearby parish. The pastor welcomed him warmly and invited Charles to serve as head of the parish liturgical committee. Aware of Charles' professional background, the pastor asked him to chair the parish financial board as well. Charles willingly agreed and soon realized that much needed to be done in both areas. His professional expertise contributed to a new and effective effort to reduce the large parish debt. Charles also led the parish in a creative fundraising drive, which permitted long-needed repairs to the church building. His love for the Mass and able guidance of the liturgical committee bore fruit in increasingly well-prepared Sunday Masses in the parish. Gradually, attendance began to rise, and an air of new life stirred in the parish. A quiet joy with gratitude to God often filled Charles' heart as he saw the work of the Lord in the parish. So Charles' service is, is really a, a great blessing for the parish, both in terms of um, his financial expertise, which uh, helps lighten the, the burden of the debt, allows for new repairs, and then also his love for the, uh, the liturgy. And as the masses are more prepared, um, uh, a, a kind of new air is stirring through, through the parish. So growth is going on. He is exercising a really very effective ministry in this double area in the parish, that is the finances and liturgy. As the months passed, Charles became aware of the limited number of young people involved in the parish's life. From time to time, he began to pray about this in his daily meditation. On several occasions, as he did so, Charles began to consider whether he should be actively involved in young adult ministry. When he discussed this with his wife, she reminded him that while he had a background in liturgical and financial matters, he had never worked with the young. Still, the thought of the need to work with the young in the parish remained with Charles, and he continued to pray about this. As he did so, all right, we can already begin to ask a question here. So this thought stays with him. Is it that, that God is actually, through causing this to surface uh, often in his prayer, and with a kind of warmth of spiritual consolation, is this a call from God to something new in his service in the parish? Or are we getting that kind of persistent quality of the enemy tempting unto the appearance of good? How do you answer that question? Well, without Ignatius and his rules, I think we'd have a very hard time doing it. That's just uh, a window into how, um, how valuable these rules are. As he did so, as he continues to reflect on young adult ministry, he found his heart warmed with the prospect of assisting the young. 
Joy quietly welled up in his heart as he thought of this, and he sensed God's love with him at such times. So clearly, the thought of serving the, the young in the parish is um, enveloped with warm spiritual consolation and consistently. Charles recognized the truth of his wife's observation, his background in liturgical and financial matters, and corresponding lack of experience in working with the young. But recognized clearly that the future of the parish lay with the young. None of his liturgical and financial contributions would last if the young of the parish were not engaged in the parish. All right, again, is this thought of God uh, inviting him to expand an already rich ministry in a way that will cause it to grow and flourish for a long time to come? Or is this an apparent reason? Is there something too subtle in all of this, trying to pull him away from something that is already very fruitful for the parish and potentially diminish it? A second consideration, well, all right, what value had his liturgical and financial efforts if they would end when his ministry did? Is that a real question? Hundreds of people are already benefiting from it. Perhaps, a second thought, perhaps the God who always calls us to new growth was inviting Charles not to remain in his comfort zone, but to put out into the deep in a new form of ministry. Is this really a call from God to expand in a way that will prove fruitful for him in the parish? Or, again, is it something that will pull him away from where God wants him to be? And then a third consideration. Likewise, no one else appeared interested in undertaking a ministry with the young. If I don't get involved in this, uh, nothing has happened for a long time, probably nothing will. Of God, not of God. Charles wondered whether the joy he experienced at these thoughts was not a sign that God was calling him to explore ministry with the young, even though it might mean less availability to some extent for his present liturgical and financial service. Charles realized that he needed the help of his spiritual director with this matter, and and your heart lifts here. Uh, And this is one thing to say from the outset, the burden of this kind of discernment is never placed simply upon us. Ignatius always presumes um, conversation with a wise and competent spiritual director in dealing with this kind of discernment. And wisely, uh, Charles uh, turns to his director with this matter. In their next meeting, he shared all of this with his director and asked the director's help. Was this new thought of working with the young of God? It came with spiritual consolation. Was it not of God? Should he speak to the pastor about this and ask to begin work with the young? So, how is Charles going to discern this? And again, as with Patricia, much is at stake. Either uh, the, 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 future, the further growth in the parish, if he does work with the youth in a way that will create a sustainable new life in the parish for years to come, Or if he moves into that new ministry, will that undermine and diminish what is already so richly happening through his liturgical and financial contribution to the parish? Obviously, discernment is necessary here. Are these thoughts that Charles has about the value of young adult ministry, and more specifically about the value uh, advisability of his undertaking this ministry, are they real reasons or just more apparently so? Are there subtleties here which skew a more accurate understanding of the situation? 
this continues to surface uh, as time goes by. Is this a call from the good spirit or is this the persistent fallacy of the enemy? Is that a call from God or a temptation under the appearance of good? Now, the first thing that we know about this already from what Ignatius has told us is that Charles or anyone else in a situation like this cannot simply uncritically assume that because this is all enveloped in spiritual consolation and clearly it's about a good thing, a young adult ministry, that no discernment is necessary. We already know that, yes, discernment is very much necessary here. Because the enemy may, with a generous person like Charles doing valuable work in the church, may bring a temptation under the appearance of good. And that's, as I said before, is already a lot just to know that this kind of discernment is necessary. In the first rule, Ignatius doesn't answer the question. That's going to come later in the rules. But it's important that before we look for answers that we see the issue and the need for this kind of discernment, which is what Ignatius is doing in this first set of rules. As I say, this is no small thing to be aware that the enemy may tempt under the appearance of good. We'll conclude Conference Talk 2 in our next episode. You've been listening to The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download the podcast version of this conference, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. To view Father Gallagher's video presentation of this conference, visit discerninghearts.com or the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher.